Welcome to the first episode of Bible and Bourbon with Pastor Ben. Today we are going to cover the first four verses in the book of Jonah, as well as an overview of the book as a whole. It is a blessing to be here with you today, wherever you might be. Whether it's at your home with a nice glass of bourbon, or stuck in traffic in your car, at work, or anywhere else. I invite you to become just as relaxed as you would be if you had a glass of your favorite libation in front of you as we study the book of Jonah. But before we jump in, I would invite you to send any prayer requests or questions you might have over the material today to me at the email address bible.bourbon at gmail.com. Now, let us start our journey through scripture together with a prayer. Almighty God, we ask that these words smooth the hecticness of our lives, that through the study of Scripture we might be grounded in your truth, away from the troubles and trials of life. We pray that this is not the best part of our day, but only a building block to something better to come. Amen. Now, let me grab my glass and let's get started. Over the next few weeks, we're going to journey through the book of Jonah. So I think it's appropriate that we start with an overview of the book as a whole. Before you can truly understand any of the books of the Bible, you have to understand their background. But why was the book written in the first place? Who was the intended audience? And what did those first readers get from the book? With the book of Jonah, we're going to see how people have interpreted it throughout all of history. Then, we will move on to those first four verses. The first thing to note about Jonah is that throughout its history, people have always found it to be a bit odd, and not necessarily in a good way. Many Christians have noticed that it seems a bit more like a fairy tale or a myth than any other book of the Bible. People can become fixated on Jonah and the whale. There's one scholar who calls the book of Jonah the Achilles heel of the Bible, believing that if people see it as a myth, the rest of the Bible will fall apart. Which I find a bit strange. If you are scared that people might compare the book of Jonah to a myth, why would you compare it yourself to the Greek myth of Achilles? But... That is not just a debate that modern readers or modern scholars have had about the book of Jonah. Augustine of Hippo, one of the earliest church theologians, faced the same criticism about the book of Jonah. He said, quote, The book of Jonah is a standing subject of ridicule among the pagans. It seems that even the Greeks, who had their own myths like that of Achilles, found the story of Jonah and the whale a bit different, too. Much later, Martin Luther, the great church reformer, weighed in on the book of Jonah, debating whether it was ever intended as a literal history or not. He commented, It sounds like a lie, and more extravagant than any fable of the poets. And if it did not stand in the Bible, I should laugh at it as a lie. There's no way around it. The story of Jonah and this whale is odd. 
And if you spend too much time trying to figure out how a man lived in a whale for several days, then you're going to miss the importance of the story as a whole. I'm not going to tell you what Jonah ate inside the whale, or how he slept, or, or how he did anything else. Instead, I'm going to talk about the purpose of the book of Jonah. What does it mean? Why was it written? Frankly, I'm not going to talk much about the whale at all. The book of Jonah is not the story of Jonah and the whale. It's the story of Jonah and his mission. And well, that's an interesting story. Because it's hard to tell why the story was written to begin with. Yes, it was written because there was a man named Jonah who was a prophet. But there were plenty of prophets and people who did prophetic work that never made it into the Bible. So why did Jonah? What is the book of Jonah supposed to teach us? Every book in the Bible has its own purpose. And depending on its purpose, each book fits into a different genre. In the Old Testament, we have books of history. Kings and Chronicles are examples of histories. They were written to provide orderly accounts of histories of certain groups of people. If you read Chronicles, you will learn about the lives of the kings, much like if you were to read a book of the kings of England today. Other books of the Bible are collections of songs or wise sayings. Psalms and Proverbs are examples of collections of wisdom. If you read Proverbs, you will find a lot of sayings that will not teach you anything about the history of the Jewish people, necessarily, but they will help you live a better life. And then we have the Song of Solomon. And there you find a bit of a romance, a story of two young lovers chasing after each other, one that would stand with any modern romance novel today. If you don't believe me, read the first four verses. Each book of the Bible has a genre and a purpose. The genre lets us see its purpose, and the purpose lets us understand its genre. They work hand in hand. But understanding the genre of the books of the prophets is a bit difficult, because the books cover the life of the prophet, the life of Jonah, Isaiah, or Jeremiah, or any other prophet. But it's also not a biography. They don't cover the prophet's life in the same way you'd expect a biography to do. In Jonah, you're not going to learn about Jonah's childhood, or his old age, or much of anything about him as a person. You wouldn't expect the biography of Benjamin Franklin to start with the signing of the Declaration of Independence and then end as soon as the Revolutionary War is over. But the book of Jonah does just that. It starts with his mission and ends as soon as his mission is completed. In this way, the books of the prophets are similar to the Gospels in the New Testament, which created their own unique genre of literature. In classical literary studies, a gospel named after the letters in the New Testament is a book about a person, often Christ, with the express purpose of spreading their message. It is not about their life, only their life as it connects to their message. If we look at the Gospel of Mark, it would make an awful biography. It tells us nothing about Jesus' life until after he is baptized as an adult man. If it were biography, it would say something about his upbringing, but it's not. 
It's about Jesus' message more than his life. In the book of Jonah, we only learn about Jonah in relation to his message. With Jonah, we don't know anything about his life before or after his journey, a journey that quite possibly could have lasted less than a month. We don't know about his childhood, his job, or, or anything else. But Jonah is even more interesting than the other books of the prophets. Because even within the genre of the prophets, Jonah is still a bit unclear. People debate whether it is like the other books of the prophet, or if it's different. With Jonah, it's hard to tell what the purpose is. Is it a simple history, telling us about the mission of the man named Jonah? Or is it a book of wisdom? Are we supposed to learn from his travels? Or is it a parable, more akin to the Good Samaritan than Isaiah? Or is the entire book just an allusion to Christ, foreshadowing the New Testament that is to come? Or is the book itself a satire, poking fun at false prophets? The last one's one of my favorite ways to read it. There were many prophets during the time of Jonah who weren't really prophets. We could think of them more as snake oil salesmen than prophets. They would travel around telling fantastical stories about the mighty works that they supposedly did with God's help in the hopes that someone would pay them. Jesus talks a lot about false prophets, as do other prophets like Micah. They were a problem. And the book of Jonah might be satiring them in a similar way to Don Quixote, satiring chivalrous ideas of knights during the Middle Ages. Each time you read the book of Jonah through a different lens, something else comes to you. And I invite you, as we read this book together, to look at it in a different light. Examine it from a different angle and see what you might have missed the first time you read it. As a Christian, it's hard to read the book of Jonah without seeing it in some ways as a story of Christ. We will talk about the images of Christ that show up in the book of Jonah as we read each one. But when the book of Jonah was written, it was not seen as a messianic text. It wasn't seen as a work of the prophets that pointed toward a coming Messiah. The book of Micah is a messianic text, and there are other books of the prophets that are seen as messianic text. But Jonah wasn't one. When Jewish people read it before Christ, they didn't see the foreshadowing or see it as pointing toward a coming Messiah. Now, after Christ's death and resurrection, you can see these similarities, but it's important as we read it to remember that the initial audience would not have seen those connections. On an organizational note, the book of Jonah finds itself in a section of the Old Testament we call the Minor Prophets. Not minor because they are unimportant, but minor simply because they are short. The book of Jonah is only four chapters long. Nothing like Isaiah or Jeremiah, with over 50 chapters each. There are 11 other minor prophets, but Jonah is the most well-known. But that's enough background. Let's start with our reading. I will ask that you please forgive me. I am a ninth-generation Kentuckian. You don't become the sixth great-grandson of the first distiller of bourbon without spending a fair amount of time in central Kentucky. I have a bit of Kentucky accent, and the bourbon doesn't help. I will do my best to pronounce everything correctly, 
but I will ask that you give me some grace. Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Let's start our discussion on this reading by talking about Jonah. Who was he? He is called Jonah, son of Amittai. There's another Jonah, son of Amittai, that appears in the Bible as a personal name in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 23-27. However, we have no way to know if it's the same person or not. It could be that these are the same person, or it could just be another man named Jonah whose father was Amittai. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Whether this Jonah is the same person as the Jonah in the book of Kings or not doesn't make a difference to us. Jonah, in the book of Jonah, is still Jonah. What we do know is that this Jonah had the word of the Lord come to him. This is by far the most common opening line for any of the books of the prophets. If you read the book of Joel, Jeremiah, or Hosea, you will see the phrasing the word of the Lord came to, insert prophet name here. In plain English, this opening line means nothing more than there was a prophet named Jonah. It doesn't mean anything more than that. It doesn't tell us how the word of the Lord came to him, whether it was dreams, visions, or anything else. So basically, this first verse just tells us the same thing the title does. This is the book of the prophet Jonah. But we do get a bit more information in the next sentence. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness. Nineveh was the center of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were the enemy of Israel before the Babylonians and after the Philistines. To give you some dating and some perspective, King David fought against the Philistines, while the Babylonians were the ones that forced the Jewish people into exile. So the Assyrians were the enemy of Israel between the two. The northern kingdom of Israel would fall to an Assyrian invasion, but the southern kingdom of Judah would hold out, just barely. In general, whether you were a Jew from the north or the south, you did not like the Assyrians. They were seen as a particularly brutal group of people. Some modern historians have pushed back on this understanding of the Assyrians, but for readers of the book of Jonah, they would have been seen especially as evil when compared to the later Persians. Nineveh was not somewhere any Jew, and not somewhere that Jonah would have wanted to go. They were the enemy. Additionally, the Assyrians weren't Jewish. Modern scholars call their religion Asherism, but that's not a term that the Assyrians would have used. They were pagans, and their national deity was Asher. With any pagan religion, there was some overlap with their neighbors. The Assyrians would have worshipped any god that they believed could bring them something, 
Without a doubt, there would have been an Assyrian here or there that would have worshipped Yahweh, the God of Israel. But they probably would have worshipped Yahweh alongside their own gods, which is completely different to how the Jews worshipped God and how God has to be worshipped in the Old Testament. The people living in this area would convert to Christianity much later, but during the period of Jonah, this was a long way off. Which brings us to the first real question of the book of Jonah. Why would God send his prophet, many miles away, to preach against the enemy of Israel when they weren't even Jewish? Why would God send him on this journey when Israel would just be better off if God did go through with the destruction. Jonah probably would have wished that Nineveh was destroyed as well as every God-fearing Jew. And it seemed that Jonah had this question too. And God never answers that question for Jonah or for us. So, he ran. And with that context, you can see why he would run. He would wish that Nineveh would be destroyed. He wouldn't wish that God would save them. Many people, when they read these first four verses, point out the absurdity behind the idea of running from God. In fact, the idea of running from God is what makes many people see this book as a satire, with the idea of running from God being a bit of a joke, much like Don Quixote fighting windmills. It pokes fun at the narrative of a prophet, making them out to be some sort of idiot trying to run from an all-knowing, all-powerful God. While I don't think this reading is necessarily wrong, I do think it's important for us to remember that there are other times in which people have run or hid from God. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve hide from God in the garden. Now, of course, there are differences between the garden account and later accounts of the connections between humans and God. But the idea of running or hiding from God isn't absent from our biblical narrative. But this isn't the only way that people have seen Jonah's running from God. Pastors often use this scripture in sermons to relate Jonah's running from his call to you running from your call. Sermons are all about taking scripture and making it accessible in your life. That is the purpose of a sermon. And for this purpose, this interpretation of Jonah works just fine. But in a biblical study, sometimes it's important to remove our lives and our personal connections with the scripture and see it in the light that it was originally intended. Most ancient readers would not have thought of themselves as like the prophet Jonah. He was a prophet. They may have seen prophets or may know about the writings of the prophets, but for the most part, they were not prophets. Whether it was your average farmer who listened to this book be read aloud, or even your average Jewish scholar, they most likely would not have seen their lives as like the life of Jonah. Separating the scriptures from our modern lens is often difficult. We like to focus on the individual, which makes it hard to see a scripture in a more communal light. So, while it is good for us to not run from God's call in our lives, I doubt that is the lesson or the purpose of the book of Jonah. If it was, the book would be even shorter than it already is. But we can learn something from Jonah running from God. It is setting the stage for God to do something great. For God to show us a bit about the relationship between the agency of the prophet and the agency of God. Who's in charge? God or the prophet? But that's a topic for next week.
as we finish chapter one and possibly discuss a bit of chapter two. Thank you for joining me today. Please remember to send any prayer requests or joys to bible.bourbon at gmail.com. And as an end note, please, if you do drink, do so responsibly. While it is true that Jesus drank wine, an occasional glass is different than an addiction. If you do need help, seek it. If you need help but don't know where to look, reach out to me. I will be happy to guide you. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day.